At Kroger, we believe it takes the right team to bring you the freshest produce. That's why we partner with farmers who grow only the best. And that level of teamwork means better, fresher options time and time again. Working with farmers is what it takes to be fresh for everyone. Kroger, fresh for everyone. It's the big $10 sale. So mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar. Text the word grade to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use. Text grade to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed. Text grade to 323232 right now and get started for just one dollar. Text grade to 323232 now. Text grade to 323232. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. This is Mission Evolution. We're dedicated to bringing the latest experts and information to offer evolutionary solutions to today's unique challenges. You, my treasured audience, are a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll address them on the very next show. So take notes, sit back, and enjoy. This hour, we're considering personal empowerment during times of upheaval. We've entered into a cycle of upheaval and crisis. When faced with pandemic, floods, hurricanes, fires, social economic upheaval, and political unrest, the complexity of factors brought into play is mind-boggling. However, with crisis comes opportunity. There's never a better time to build something new as when everything is in upheaval and all the constituent parts freed up for reorganization. The key is to logically discern our opportunities and act upon them in the face of widespread panic, polarization, reaction, and giant leaps of illogic. What has and has not worked for us in the past that we now have an opportunity to reorganize for a positive outcome? How can we move forward and create a better tomorrow for all concerned? With us this hour to delve into the possibilities now being presented is a gentleman we've had the pleasure of having on the show before, Terry Patton. Terry is the author of A New Republic of the Heart, an Ethros for Revolutionaries, and Integral Life Practice, which he co-wrote with Ken Weber. He founded and leads a thriving practice community that recently published Being the Change, Action Research Findings from a Global Social Experiment. He's taught Integral Life Practice to over 10,000 people, founded the Consciousness Technology Company, Tools for Exploration, and led the team at the HeartMath Institute that developed their first heart rate variable monitor. His website, terrypatton.com. Terry, on behalf of our listeners and myself, thank you so much for joining us on Mission Evolution. Thanks so much for inviting me, Gwilda. I'm happy to be here. It's so nice to have you back. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Well... Uh, I'm, I'm somebody who's lived a, a very, very blessed life, uh, with, but with a lot of unusual pieces. I was raised in an intentional community founded by uh, a Christian church that invited people of other races and religions to live together as a witness for peace and brotherhood. And so I kind of grew up being mentored by these really uh, idealistic uh, co-op aunts and uncles. Uh, I had a 
enormously important time uh, living in an ashram, the first half of my adult life with a, a great spiritual teacher, uh, Adidas Samraj, and that certainly it gave me an incredible education in the world's spiritual traditions and, and, and deep spiritual experience and uh, intuition of, uh, of the divine. And then I worked uh, with Ken Wilber and the Integral Institute very intensely uh, during the, the aughts and even really to some degree still currently. So I've had uh, a number of uh, families of, of influence that have, have shaped me a great deal. Um, at this point, I'm, I've been kind of given my draft notice a little bit by the speed at which the what we can sometimes call the meta-crisis or the multi-leveled human predicament, our, our, our ecological and sociological crises are intensifying so fast that I've just given myself over to working through a nonprofit uh, based just on donations, inviting people in a very generous way with the spirit of a gift economy to join with me, to become friends who can send a pulse of wholeness and healing into the world and to join with all other people of good will to more competently marshal our intention to be a blessing in an, in a world in trouble. So that's kind of what I'm doing now. Is, is that ever needed, right? <laughs> you oh know, boy. Most people are, yeah, most people are still upset and anxious over the pandemic, the fires, the floods, and the political and economic crisis as you brought up. How can we understand what's happened in the world in a way that can empower us? Well, part of what is required is that, you know, we, we begin our whole experience so, so influenced by other people and media and everything else. And, and that perspective just reinforces the idea that you're a separate person and that your well-being is the only thing that really ought to matter to you. And the fact that we are not just... Uh, eventually going to die as individuals, but the fact that there are threats to our well-being on a system-wide basis, that we're part of a civilizational system that in some ways is just so so profoundly unsustainable, I mean, this is really upsetting. And people tend to, to avoid it. You know, we, we, we try to call it healthy denial, but that there's a level of denial that's become kind of installed in us on a, on a civilization-wide basis so that People are projecting the negative off. It's some awful elite. It's some particular enemy, some bad force or person or cabal or organization or whatever is the source of all the difficulty. And there's a much more profound way of relating to all this to recognize that the war, so to speak, between good and evil is really fought in every human heart. And that our uh, friendships, our relationships with the most spiritually mature people we know are the place where we can actually go beyond the limits in ourselves. And for us to you know, fight that war, not as if against a hallucinated enemy that's all evil, but to really opt for the wisdom and virtue and beauty and goodness of our own souls and, and to really live that. And so... Uh, other human beings can help you do that more than any other thing. Entering into really deep and uh, deep, deep conversations, but particularly it's conversations where people will, a little, little bit of silence come in and listen to that stiller, smaller voice. And a different level of what's present can come into play. And in that so context... Like yeah, go it ahead. Sounds like it's real. Sounds like it's really important who and how we associate with each other right now. Being mindful of of what what we're letting in. It it is, and yet it doesn't follow from this that you should should never talk to the people who are most challenging. Uh, sometimes the people who are most challenging uh, are still teachers to us because there's you know we can learn to love and to not put anyone out of our heart, even the people that we disagree with most about passionate topics are still children of God in a sense. And there's a, a way of holding everybody in our heart and still being clear about truth and falsity and, and 
standing for our values and virtues that is, I think, a developmental challenge. It's not just like what we already know we should make better choices among. No, we're actually asked to grow. We're asked to become more mature human beings. And that's a, uh, something you can only approach with sort of a, a kind of humorous seriousness and uh, a great deal of humility. Absolutely. So I have to ask you, have, have you been aware, it sounds like your whole life has set you up to be in position to be of service now. Have you been aware that we're heading towards this crisis? Oh, yes, for really my whole life. I mean, I, I was writing, <laughs> reading and writing about issues like this back during the first Earth Day in 1970. You know, it seems like there's a lot of us that that's been the case, that, you know, we look around us and it's not like we're prophets. You don't have to be to say, this isn't real sustainable. What made you choose the direction you took to prepare for it? Well, I felt a kind of civic responsibility. You know, I think that uh, sometimes when somebody discovers the amazing fulfillment that one can have through spiritual practice and meditation and, and the kind of unconditional happiness, happy for no reason happiness, it's just uncaused and grateful and in touch with grace. I also could see that there was there were other domains of practice, that it wasn't all on the cushion, that we had to take care of our physical health and fitness, that we had to also take care of our ways of relating to others. And that even our participation in our communities and states and nations and every level of it is a place for practice. So as I saw this crisis of unsustainability growing and intensifying, I realized that it was going to require whole systems transformation, the most fundamental kinds of transformation that would really affect us at every level. And that the thing that would be hardest about that wasn't so much the engineering or the politics, it, it is the politics in a way, but it's the human relations, it's becoming the mature human beings that are required. And so this politics of maturity, of maturation, of really becoming able to be generous and helpful and wise and unshakable and a source of sanity in the midst of the craziness, that was really what I focused on. What I love you've repeated in the short part of time we've been together here this morning is that, you know, alluding back to it has to start within first. You know, that's that's where the real work is and that's where the real power is. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that the inner work is absolutely essential, but I look at it integrally. It's not like we should go do the inner work and not do any outer work until we've finished our inner work. It's that we should be doing our inner work, our interpersonal work, our relational work, and our outer work all at the same time. And that the limits of our personal maturity or our ability to relate to others are going to show up in our ability to be effective in our uh, outer work. So that none of these things can be pursued in isolation, especially through the enormous, great turning, great transformational moment that lies ahead of us. We're going to have to make a conversion to a sustainable human presence on this planet and one that has some real fairness and, 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 and is still spiritually fulfilling. How are we going to do that, especially without ending up at each other's throats? It seems like an impossible problem, and yet the thing that cuts through it is the power of love and friendship. It, it is more powerful than people realize. It's just that the kinds of love and friendship of which we're usually capable need to mature. There are other higher stages and levels of that. And that's what I'm devoted to exploring. Well, it takes a real dovetailing, doesn't it? Because if you sit on the mountain and contemplate your navel, you never trigger the parts of yourself inwardly that need to be transmuted. And if you don't get out and work in society, no amount of transmutation is going to affect the whole. So it does have to be a, a happening all at the same time, doesn't it? I, I think it does. And, and yet there are seasons in a person's life. There can be a season when you're discovering or really deepening in your meditation where that takes a special emphasis or where 
the magic of what's happening with your deep spiritual friends is catalyzing all kinds of growth. And so that's taking center stage or periods of time around elections like we've just been going through in the United States or at other times when really rolling up your sleeves and getting a lot done in practical terms in the outer work feel like they need a special focus. So there are seasons, but you never can let go. You can't we tend to think in such binary terms, it's as if our, we have blinders on that narrow us down. And when we see one thing that's super important, we say, that's a bottom line. We forget that it's not the only bottom line. And that exclusivity, that reductivism, that's what I'm hoping to help people wake up out of. Fantastic. Well, it's time for us to take a commercial break, but on the other side, I'd really like to get deeper into this topic because I think it's so important. It is time for that commercial break. Terry and I will return shortly, so don't go away. You're listening to Mission Evolution, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. We're bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you, dear listeners, for your continued encouragement and support of what we're providing through Mission Evolution to aid during these challenging times. And speaking of gifted people of service to the world, our continued programming and broadcast is only made possible through the endless hard work and dedication of our executive producer, Rob McConnell, and his amazing team at the X-Zone Broadcast Network. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Terry Patton. His website, terrypatton.com. Terry, when we're faced with crisis, people tend to feel victimized and disempowered. How would you define personal empowerment as we need to pre- present it moving forward? Well, I, I, you know, there is, for very good reasons, a big emphasis on people becoming empowered because so many people feel disempowered. But our empowerment of ourselves walks hand in hand with our maturation. Uh, If you were, if you imagine yourself in a room full of people and you need to elect somebody, you'd want to empower that person based on their virtues and their qualities. And, And there are parts of us that are aware of our immaturity, aware of our irresponsibility, our selfishness, our pettiness, whatever, are the, the qualities that we honestly, heart, at our hearts of hearts, don't, don't believe we deserve to be empowered in. So there's a kind of seriousness about our spiritual growth and a, and a humility that makes you trustable, trustable even to yourself. And the self-empowerment is a, a natural uh, outgrowth of your direct, in a sense, you win your own self-respect. And when you feel truly congruent, and you know that you're not just getting away with whatever you can get away with, but that you're rooted in, you're living a certain discipline. You're, you're, you're disciplined by your fidelity to truth and goodness and the beauty of existence and, and the love and freedom and joy. You're, you're, you're you're actually uh, in your faithfulness to your truest virtues. You know that you can be trusted, and therefore there's a dignity, a kind of simple uh, self-honoring, head held high kind of empowerment that comes from that. And that's the root of all the rest of it. Then others will turn to you for advice or solace or particularly other people with that level of maturity who are adults in the same sense will seek you out as a friend. And it's friendships among 
genuine practitioners who are recognizing their social and interpersonal responsibilities that I think are the hope for our future. I would agree. Now, how much, you know, it seems like, you know, we're, we're all coming out of the same soup. And we've been programmed, we've been damaged, we've got our triggers, we've got our patterns. Um, how important is it what we identify with? If we're identifying with our natural innate um, dignity and sovereignty and uh, um, reliableness, rather than we can look at the other and say, well, it's there, but I'm not going to act from there. Is, is that the way you start moving towards what you just described? You know, I think we start moving toward what I'm describing in, in so many unique ways. I think that's certainly one way. I'm not sure that's the only way, though, because there are, gosh, there's just so many unique contours. We're all living a profound soul adventure in which we encounter teachers, in which we encounter puzzles and challenges. Like in the hero's journey, it's as if we don't know who we really are and then discover that we, we may be given a talisman of a kind. You know, there, there's something very profound about the process through which people make their way to their, their maturation. It really is an adventure and it has so much uh, variety and uniqueness in each person's case. But the, the, the process of becoming a hero has tended to be treated as if it was all an individual, every man or woman for themselves, kind of a, a unique personal adventure. And we're waking up to the fact that we're all in this jam together. We're all in this boat together. And the fact that we tend to find one another, you know, I love humanity, but people, I, you know, they, like <laughs> the, 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 the fact that People are difficult, and that our ability to not put people out of their heart, even when they're annoying, and and our ability to be a source of sanity and help and stability for other people, begin to be the critical survival skills for us as a collective in this lifeboat together. So that's that's kind of where I'm focused. My I'm community glad you brought up is, collective because it yeah, go ahead. I'm glad you brought up collective because as we're moving into a lot of people have predicted um, a lot of societies and traditions have predicted, we're moving into a time of unity versus individual. And um, in order to do that, that's a huge transformation. We not only have to quit holding on to our bailiwig of having to do it all or be it all, but we also have to empower the people around us, don't we? Yes. We have to also be able to be with other people in ways we haven't learned. We tend not to understand that most of the time we spend with other people is casual. And you might even call it using the ancient distinction that the scholar of comparative religion, Mircea Eliade, makes between profane and sacred space. If we're to have the kind of conversation that we really want to have, we transition into sacred space with another person. And we approach our conversation not casually as if, eh, doesn't really matter, as, wait, this is perhaps an opportunity for something profound and meaningful and valuable, and we take a different kind of care. And then we listen in a whole different way. We really become interested in knowing the other person at the deepest level. And if that person is doing a similar practice, that listening begets listening. And your conversations go to deeper and deeper levels of resonance. And you become humble. And you begin to question assumptions. And you can come together at a different level. And it's that kind it's of humility that's needed now. It's beautiful to watch you know, somebody walk into a room that's just doing the, the mundane and by the very presence of their own sacredness, by the very presence of their own willingness to be open and listen while staying sovereign, it can transmute the whole environment, the whole conversation into something more sacred. Yes. How can we, how can we, as individuals, bring that every place we go? I mean, isn't that really what's needed at this point? You know, each each of us has uh, 
a whole tradition, you know, for, for, for a person who's a very strong Christian with a personal relationship with Jesus, there's going to be uh, a particular way of praying, invoking, bringing Christ's presence into the moment, but not pushing that on anybody else, just letting yourself imitate Christ, you know, in that moment as a carrier of a kind of deep humility, but also a kind of selfless service and generosity and a kind of gentleness that really expresses the qualities of Jesus. If you're a scientific uh, thinker who thinks that, you know, materialist explanations are a whole lot more effective than others, then your sense of how to bring that kind of sacredness into the moment is maybe going to just have to do with being really present, noticing the tendencies of contraction in the heart and relaxing them, and letting yourself transition into a place where there's the potential for novelty. There's a potential for something new and different to happen. And those are only two examples of dozens and dozens of ways that different people with different spiritual resources and traditions are going to make a move to trans form the tenor and the moment in which two people meet so that it has this kind of pregnant possibility for something wondrous, for something that disarms us, surprises us, and that lets us change so that we become allies to what's best in us, even the next way of being that's coming into play for us that we're just barely intuiting and beginning to grow into. How do you see our guiding beliefs and ideals? Because, you know, we all have those and you were talking about some of them. How do we see our guiding beliefs and ideals being challenged at this time? Well, I think that a lot of our guiding beliefs and ideals, as we've learned them, arose in the midst of a uh, a very unusual period in the human journey in which because of uh, the discovery of the new world and then fossil fuels and then uh, information technology and the powers of silicon, we've pretty much lived in a world of infinite resources for almost 500 years. And therefore economies have to expand and children should do better than their parents and all kinds of things. And we're now at the point where that whole process is beginning to encounter the beginnings of some limits. And this kind of exuberance is no longer going to be sustainable. So we're being asked to do something that our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents never were asked to do. We're having to navigate something that's really challenging. And most of us are just upset. We kind of feel like we were promised uh, uh, an infinitely expanding world in which to have our kids and grandkids have their fulfilled lives. And we can see all the storm clouds. Maybe that's not really going to be the case. And that requires a confrontation, just like our noticing that we're going to eventually die involves a very deep spiritual confrontation with limits. And we have to be willing to live and die, to suffer the potentials of limits. In, and the only way we can do that is to see something honorable, sacred, even almost magical in all of that. And that's, uh, well, that's a, a that's transformed works, view. Isn't it? Yeah. That's the way life works. Everything in nature has its season of, of budding, of growth, of expansion, and then of death and of being taken down to its constituent parts. So it would appear to me that we're entering into the fall and the winter of the times that you just described. And that needs to be embraced and understood better than what we have the tools at this time. How, where can we get those tools, Terry? Well, you know, certainly there are many sincere and deep and wise teachers who are offering teachings of various kinds. And there are many, many communities of practice, uh, churches and uh, Zen sanghas and, you know, uh, synagogues and every, every different kind of community of practice exists. I 
am feeling now, though, that those of us who kind of think holistically, who see the multiple levels of, of what's going on, kind of need a more integral sangha, a sangha that can appreciate the paradoxes and the what time it is on the planet in a different way. And and, and that can honor that uh, grief and gratitude can coexist, that we don't have to be afraid to let our hearts be broken, that in fact, the tears of heartbreak become tears of joy and that we are built for this trip. The people who are here are the people who can handle and work with this and that that's part of what God called us to here and that a different kind of set of friendships are possible in the midst of this. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, we're going to begin seeing a knitting together among communities of serious practice, especially ones who recognize that we're moving into a whole new paradigm of life in this world. Where our Well, it's, time, it's okay. time for another one of those wonderful commercial breaks, but we'll talk about the calling on the other side. Terry and I will return to our discussion shortly, so you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Again, this is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To all our faithful and thoughtful listeners, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What do you think about finding empowerment in times of upheaval? This in from a member of our audience regarding the episode entitled Climate Crisis, Manifestation of the Human Shadow, RG shares. I'm new to the idea we can change the outer world by cleaning up our inner one. How empowering. Thanks, R.G. It's reassuring that we do have recourse. I, too, love the concepts that Jack brings. Dear audience, visit our archives at missionevolution.org, listen to the episode entitled Climate Crisis, Manifestation of the Human Shadow, and let us know what you think. Email me at info at missionevolution.org. Give me your thoughts or questions so we can all share them. With us this hour discussing thriving through adversary is Terry Patton. His website, terrypatton.com. We ended the last segment, Terry, uh, with a very intriguing concept, and that's of the calling, um, that many of us not only came at this time to be here at this time to meet the challenges of this time, but there's sometimes an activator uh, that that bring, calls us to that. Would you speak to that a little bit, please? Well, the there are so many different ways that we can picture and talk about what is happening. And, every, and all of these perspectives have some validity. But the stories that we tell, uh, because we're story-making, story-listening beings, end up being the most uh, influential and powerful. And one of the most evocative ways for us to talk about what's happening right now is for us to recognize that what is, is, that that this moment is not wrong, that that there isn't some terrible mistake, that that things didn't go haywire in in some awful way, that there's somehow something about what is that you can trust. And what is, is that this, yes, uh, global warming is real, yes, the positive feedback loops are real. Yes, there's all kinds of societal stresses and breakdowns and polarization and and difficulty. And all of that is frightening and it is important to take it seriously. And yet, all of the extraordinary capacities of human beings are also present. And the particular human beings who are here are armed with a time in which all the wisdom traditions of humankind are in conversation in a way that's never been true before, in which much of the uh, highest uh, idealism and nobility and, and, and willingness really even to self-sacrifice on behalf of the whole is operative 
there's a kind of latent heroism there in, in so many human hearts. And there's also a, a sense then that we were called here for this time. This is our time. This is the, this time, as crazy as it is, this is your time. You were born here for whatever you can bring to this. Now, that way of interpreting it helps us to, instead of bemoaning it, oh, why do I have to live in a time when there's this terrible pandemic and I can't have fun and party and enjoy life with other humans and see people smiling on the street. This is such a drag. Well, maybe this is a really momentous time in the human journey and it's hard and it tests us, but you were here because you can take this and you can learn from it and you can become a more mature human being through it. That kind of reframing of understanding this as a calling is the beginning of really getting that life is a school and it's going to keep giving us lessons and showing up and really learning those lessons is what really matters. You know, my, my old Lakota teacher, <laughs> it took me years to understand even partially what he was always trying to say with this, but he said, be mindful. It wasn't the words he used. He said, take care to notice the, the stories that you loved as a child, because they speak to the story that you came to live. And uh, one of the ways we can look at that now as modern people is who was your superhero, you know, that sort of thing. Is that part of what's happening here is we're looking at our calling and we're being called through the stories that appeal to us, that, that make that bring out the hero in us? Well, yes. I mean, sometimes you know that, but there's, there's a deep sensing in you. You know, the Sufis talk about the ear of the heart. And in a way, your heart is, uh, you know, there's a whole field, neurocardiology. This is something uh, I worked with the Institute of Heart Math uh, when they were just really exploring this. And, and there are lots of nerves that begin in the heart and that end in the brain. The, 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 the heart is a center of human knowing. So is the gut. We have three brains, in effect. Uh, and and your, the ear of the heart knows the difference. At the deepest level, there's something wholesome and patient and very much kind, very much understands that you have self-responsibility first and care, you know, that, that there is a, a centrality, this papum, papum, papum of the heart is an expression of a kind of continuity, a kind of restedness. There is all kinds of wisdom that's available to us if we just put our hand at the center of our chest and close our eyes and just listen, especially in, in a moment when you need more wisdom, when you're praying for grace or for clarity or for new resources. And you can just ask your heart, like right now, mm, what other perspectives are available and the heart will there's a deep heart knowing and 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 that heart knowing is going to draw you to wiser stories than some stories that are being told we have an awful lot of people who have been drawn into various uh delusions in our world right now because of our online life and because of all the challenges that we're all up against there are all kinds of different Totalizing narratives, they're called. Uh, the idea that this explains everything and the forces of good and the forces of evil and they can mobilize us. Your heart can tell the difference between a deluding story and a wisdom story. And your ability to notice and to listen and to be humble and to be instructed is part of how you're becoming a wiser person in this moment or any moment. Um, the heart, I, I love the subject of the heart and all the studies that have been done. And it is where we hook up with everything, right? Is, is by, by being in our heart, then we follow the electromagnetic field out and where it interfaces with everything else's electromagnetic field, you have access. Is that 
when you're saying, okay, take this story to your heart and see if it feels like a story you're being told that isn't necessarily true or a sacred story, is that because it will align with everything else that is versus one that's a, you know, a, a bunch of um, ridiculousness uh, does not? Well, yeah, but, but, but the heart can, can discern really, really nuanced things. Like you can be in the midst of a conflict with another person and be imagining all the reasons why they ought to change and your heart might discover, wait a second, like this political conversation you're having with Uncle Joe is, is not even a thing. You and Uncle Joe share all kinds of memories, and, and you both love Grandma Jane, and you're actually your connectedness in that place, and the way that he may have taught you how to tap maple syrup out of the tree, or you know whatever it is that you share with that person, your, your heart is going to not necessarily answer the question you asked, but draw you to a deeper level of the wisdom that's already present in you. And, and therefore, it isn't just a way to distinguish between a delusional narrative and a, and a wise one, but a, a, it'll often take you to a place that's less stressful, that's a little more patient, that doesn't get quite as inflamed and whipped up, but that is often taking really good care of you. It, isn't, it is generous. But it isn't self-sacrificing in a ungrounded way. It's often uh, a, a really important way to stabilize ourselves. And when we're listening to it, we become a source of stability for others, too, which is super important. I find it a very nourishing place to be also. So it's like you might be sacrificing some of your old views, some of your sacred cows and this and that. But you have the enfoldment to, um, to do so in a graceful way. Is that what you're talking about? I, I, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm also talking about, like, you do it in a graceful way, but, but the point is not, ah, I did it, landed my, my uh, uh, tumbling routine in, in gymnastics, like I got it right. It's more like, oh, I learned in this school of life, and that showed that I've learned that last lesson, but ah, I'm just catching that there's another way I could do it even better. So the reward for getting it right isn't uh, like a, a bunch of applause. It's, it's not like a, I've arrived and now No, I'm no, now no. Done. It's like a deep satisfaction and then the discovery that the next level of life's lessons is opening up for us. And, and oh, wow, okay, this is even a new, deeper responsibility. You've, you founded, um, and we'll get started on the subject, but of course we're close to the end of the segment, so we'll pick it up again on the other side of the, of the commercial break. But you founded a social experiment in being the change we want to see in the world. Could you start telling us a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, instead of teaching an advanced course on spiritual growth, inner work, interpersonal work, and outer work, I found myself saying, you know, I don't want students. I want fellow experimenters. So mm -hmm. we created mm -hmm. a social experiment rather than a, a course. And now, over a couple years later, we're at the point where we have uh, a really thriving uh, guild, you might say, of, of people who are really learning to befriend one another and to become a source of love in the world altogether, supporting one another and being a source of sanity in this crazy world. So that's something that gives me a great deal of satisfaction, and I'd love to talk about it more on the other side of the commercial break. Now, it sounds like one of the things that, that we're looking at here is that transition from the guru, if you will, the one that's the teacher and those of the students, to colleagues and um, co-experimenters. Is, is that what you're looking at? I am aiming for that, and yet it's true that I've been a serious uh spiritual practitioner or a student of many things for 50 years now, and some people are younger in their path. So there's a certain amount of what I communicate that is, uh, like we have to have a common language, we have to have some common practices and agreements, and so there is some teaching that is part of my role. But the fundamental thing that defines us 
has to change. Like we have to become a whole culture of enlightened beings, of, of, of saints of a kind. We, we need a generation of people who are operating from a different set of values and who learn to create a kind of mutual support and happiness and celebration of this amazing gift of life in every moment, no matter how off balance things are. This moment is holy and beautiful and ought to be enjoyed and celebrated. And, and, and all of these capacities, once we begin to line them up, begin to create the context for a whole host of friendships and creative collaborations. And that's what I'm uh, excited about in the gathering that I've uh, invited folks into. It's, it is, you know, when you gather more people and you get a common language, um, you can really start opening the doors on all sorts of um, expansive concepts, can't you? You really can, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, it is that promised time for the commercial break. Um, but we will be back on the other side, and we're going to go deeper into the social experiment and how we can work together as um, equals as well as learn from each other. Terry and I will be back shortly to continue our discussion, so don't go away. This is Mission Evolution on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Mission Evolution. Did you know our entire Leading Edge Information Pack past episode collection is available to listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. If you'd like to find out more about me, Gwilda Wiecka, my school, and all the evolutionary tools we offer, visit our website, www.findyourpathhome.com. Our guest this hour is Terry Patton. We're speaking about transmuting our circumstances. And Terry, would you mind sharing the other websites that you have where we can find out more about your materials? Yeah, probably the primary one is the nonprofit through which I now do all, all my work. It's New Republic of the Heart, kind of long, dot org. New Republic of the Heart dot org. And uh, actually, if you click events when you get there, you'll uh, find out, uh, uh, you'll get a link to a recording of a major talk I've given on spiritual friendship amidst cultural madness and the power of our grateful generosity, which is, I think, really a deep, deep, deepening orientation to the conversation that we're able to have today. Thanks, Gwilda. No problem. Thank you for all the beautiful things you're bringing to the world. So needed right now. Terry, we were, we were getting into how, you know, we might be, well, we're needing to combine um, uh, teachings where we can come together and bring everybody up to snuff so that we have the language and the tools to move forward as colleagues and experimenters. However, there's a pitfall within that we've seen historically, and that's the concept of cult. Would you help define the difference between and how we stay out of the cult and into the uh, constructive one? <laughs> I love this topic. Um, you know, a cult is usually thought of as a kind of a somewhat bizarre, inward-turned uh, group that has uh, unusual and usually deluded beliefs. And very often where there's a charismatic leader that kind of swindles the other participants. But uh, the real meaning of cult uh, is uh, that it's any group that kind of uh, has a bunch of shared beliefs that it reinforces. And quite honestly, we're in a situation now that our whole society is so unsustainable that we're all in a big cult, the cult of industrial civilization, the cult of a consumer society, the cult of constantly thinking you need products or experiences or all kinds of things that you go out and pay for with money to be happy. And that, uh, when you try to leave that cult, 
and you try to get your mind clear and you become something a little different, if you find a teaching or a teacher or some other fellow participants, it's likely then that uh, somebody's going to accuse you, have you been getting into a cult? So I think <laughs> to some degree we ought to set it on its head. I, I, I do agree. I mean, there are many, many uh, dangerous ways that people can get disconnected from the, the, the consensus reality. But our consensus reality has become something of a consensus trance. And it, it is important to wake up from our consensus reality to some degree. In our community, of course, we're, we're not, you know, I'm not like the guru of my community. I'm, I'm a really good spiritual friend to other people who are growing in their ability to accept friendship and then to embody it and extend it out to others. Our work is really to send a pulse of coherent sanity and love into every relationship we have, in every community we participate in, and out into the world at a time when that is absolutely necessary. So what, what we're, we're really interested in and what we're cultivating is a kind of listening to existence that enables the sacred heart of being to express itself through us so that we're becoming the hands and feet of grace in this world. And that is the most fulfilling thing for us. It seems like living in the cult we have, <laughs> or the collection of them, um, one of the things that kind of stands out to me is if you aren't in total agreement with the premise of the cult is that you're condemned and they try to rescue you from yourself. And that really fits with a lot of our um, uh, organizations out there that we just participate in without even thinking. Isn't that so? Yeah, you know, there's a wonderful quote from the Dalai Lama. He said something along the lines of, you know, you Western people, you sacrifice your health for decades just to make money. And then you spend all your money trying to regain your health. And then you spend all your time worrying about the future and kind of thinking about the problems and the and the hurts from the past so that you're not even living in the present and then you die without ever having lived exactly and all your money won't another moment buy right and 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 that that is the cult we want to awaken from the cult that <laughs> has us living like that so uh th there are th there do need to be understandings about what it is to practice like a, a fundamental attitude of Humility, there's a term, it's a $20 term, epistemic humility. It kind of means, you know, no matter how much something seems like I know it, there might be some something more to things and maybe my knowing is imperfect. So I have a little humility about what I think I know. And if you have an attitude of epistemic humility, you also have an attitude of generosity. What I want to get out of this interaction with you Sure, I want to learn from you. I want to hear from you. I want to get closer to you. But the most important thing is, can I, can I befriend you? Can I discover the divinity of you? Can I let myself be surprised and drawn into gratefulness? Can I practice gratefulness as a whole way of being? And in that noticing of the miracle, noticing of the wonder of the world, can I help you? notice the miracle and wonder of the world more fully and that you know, again again the the entire world works on spirals and uh, extraction uh, expansion expansion and contraction if we look to nature all of those things exist out there and yet we've segregated ourselves and separated ourselves to where we hardly function now we don't even have a language of spirit. Is that part of what you uh, come together with is developing a common language so that these concepts can be reintroduced? We, we, we do do that for sure. Uh, a, a big piece of it is for us to try to create non-zero, non-zero sum reaction, relations with one another. So that the way that I support you makes you so much happier and healthier and capable that you're supporting Jill and she's supporting Fred and Fred's supporting me and we're all getting stronger. That kind of uh, uh, 
attitude of curiosity and wonder so that we're recreating a kind of spark of the miraculous. You know, Einstein said you can live as if nothing is a miracle or everything is a miracle. And that living in the miracle, because it all is a miracle, truly, this moment is a miracle, that is uh, an attitude. And so language is good, and, and, and yet language is always imperfect. We can always turn our vision to see our idea of the tree instead of the tree itself. And language can substitute for the naked heart's encounter with the miraculous wonder of the sacred living God that is breathing you right now and sparking the mind that's hearing these words and speaking these words and dwelling in that wondrous beloved condition is something that a practitioner you know, by grace, I get there. I can get depressed and agitated and lose track. I I make it my commitment to find my way through those w moments of wilderness and to rediscover the the secret again. And that kind of attitude and friendships that are really helping us to do that, that's kind of what we're all about in A New Republic of the Heart. What, I'm going to ask you a tough one now. <laughs> Uh, we have five minutes, four minutes left in the segment. So <laughs> within that, what have you learned in your social experiment that can help us moving forward as a culture and as a people? One of the things that we've learned that I think is uh, most important is that if we don't put out of our hearts even the people that disagree with us most, if we really live in the questions, it's, it's just, you know, there's this phrase from Rainer Maria Rilke about living the questions and loving the questions. If we, if we dwell together in profound questions that make us deeper, more fully present, more fully generous, more fully awake to the miracle of existence, we we feed one another. Like the, the, the discovery has been that many, many people who've come into our community have grown into becoming teachers themselves in their own communities, or they've grown into uh, being able to heal problematic relations that they have with uh, members of their family. It's, it's a, it's, it's an elusive thing. It's not, um, this life is a school, and it's teaching us lessons forever. So the, the way we tend to talk about successes is like I've graduated, but the person who thinks they've graduated is the dangerous one. It's the one who has graduated from something and now is humbly beginning the next course of study that we can trust. So I think that we've begun to create a culture in which that recognition is drawing greater and greater maturity and empowerment into the lives of, of many people. And, and it's so great that it's a global community where you have people you're learning from in Europe and Australia and South America. And, you know, just it has that kind of uh, cosmopolitan uh, cross-pollination going on, too. We know that, um, speaking of global, um, the Eastern traditions and some of the, the circular uh, learning methods that uh, are, are taught there. Um, I'm an international Taekwondo instructor. And um, one of the beautiful things that I watched and practiced in that is that everyone is a student and everyone is a teacher. So each, no matter what their age, each of the belts, as they would advance up a belt, then the, the students below them in belt rank, regardless of age, became their their students and mm -hmm. then they would teach those students and the ones above them would teach them and it became this beautiful empowering i mean kids five years old are being called sir by you know 30 year old 40 year old people because they have earned the next level above them and it just really developed a, a lovely community that we tend to lack here in our hierarchy would you speak to that just a little yeah well in the, if we begin to recognize that you're in the dojo all the time. <laughs> and my gratitude for your generosity in helping get my message to others and the, the team and the folks that have 
everybody is coming together to be of service in different ways. And if we notice that and we really let it in, we dwell in blessedness. We dwell in gratitude. Even <clears throat> though the circumstances could turn and I could be snuffed out, you know, I could catch COVID or get hit by a truck, you know, tomorrow, whatever it is. The, 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 if I live in the miracle in the meantime, my life is well lived. So there's a, uh, there's, there is a, there are too few communities that live in the big questions. We're all being confronted as a human species with some questions for which nobody has adequate answers. Yes, and, you know, Terry, only too soon. We've reached the end of our time together, and I am so grateful that you were on the show again. Always such a pleasure sharing thoughts with you. Thanks for it so much. Thank you. And and if people are interested, it's newrepublicoftheheart.org that you can reach us at. Thank you. Great. Our guest this hour has been Terry Patton, author of A New Republic of the Heart, an ethos for revolutionaries and integral life practice. His website is newrepublicoftheheart.org. I love to hear from our listeners. Email me at infoabitionevolution.org and suggest any guests or topics you would find of interest. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. This has been Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as the mission continues. Bring information, resources, and support to our evolving world. <laughs>